Good morning. I'm the husband of that spry young lady that was just up here. Uh, it's exciting to be able to help our community in practical ways, uh, to be on the ground and, uh, and to be recognized as that. And, and again, thank you guys for making that possible. So many of you volunteer, uh, contribute in different ways. And if you do want to be a part of that, there's always opportunity, even for a couple of few hours a week, uh, we'd love to have you be a part of that and make a difference in people's lives. Well, today, uh, we are going to wrap up this series. Uh, by the way, my name's Randy, and if you're a guest today, it's great to have you in our worship time. And uh, we're going to be um, studying through a passage of Scripture today. We do our messages in series, and this has been a rather long one. In fact, it's been 12 weeks, which is the longest we've probably done in a long time. Uh, but we've gone through the book of Colossians, and if you haven't been with us, you can always jump online and uh, journeyky.church and kind of catch up. Uh, but we're going to wrap up the book of Colossians today, looking at the, the fourth chapter. And uh, next week, we'll begin a new study uh, called The Path. And we're excited about this because this is a way for us to kind of talk about where we feel like God is leading us as a church, but also a path for you uh, your personally uh, to begin your journey with Christ or continue on that journey wherever you may be. And uh, so we'll, we'll pick you up on the path somewhere there. And uh, like Zach mentioned earlier, we're going to be starting some groups, uh, reactivating our groups. And some of them have been down for the summer uh, just through travel and, and uh, different activities, but we're going to be putting those back together. And if you'd like to be a part of a group, uh, we would love to place you in one. And uh, we, it's, it takes a while sometimes to, uh, to get it all figured out, but we'll, we'd love to do that. And, and starting next week, we want to start the study along with the sermon mor- uh, Sunday morning series. So keep that in mind. And again, there are some, some papers that are on the, uh, uh, the counter in the lobby if you'd like to, to sign up for that. But today we're going to conclude the series by talking about the fact that talking about ministry and ministering to people. And, you know, keep in mind that, that Paul was a minister, and he wrote this letter to the Colossians, which was a church in that day in modern-day Turkey. And uh, he, he knew that ministry was all about people. It's all about people, which is important because all of us obviously are people, and we need people to be about us as well. We want people in our lives. We want to be in the lives of others, people. And ministry really is all about people. Paul knew that because he spent all of his life traveling around preaching, teaching, starting churches, revisiting the churches he had started, uh, renewing relationships. Paul was a very relational person. And when Paul couldn't travel, and in this case, as we said several times, he was in prison in Rome writing this book. When he couldn't travel, he would be writing. He would be uh, interacting with uh, the guards around him or whoever might be with him at the time. But he wrote these letters that he sent out to people and to churches, people like Timothy and Titus, and, uh, and then also we have uh, letters written to different churches like Colossians, which is kind of what we have that make up the latter part of the New Testament. And so he wrote these letters, and they weren't just general, you know, to whom it may concern. They were directed to individuals. And we're going to talk about some of those people tonight, uh, today in, in just a few moments here. But, uh, but there's something special about a letter, you know? I mean, in a world today where people leave voicemails and texts and uh, emails and all other sorts of communication, Facebook messages. You know, we just don't get enough letters. We don't write letters. Most people, it's kind of a lost art. And what I've noticed is that when someone writes you a letter, we get so much junk mail, but if someone were to write you a letter with your address in handwritten and a return address written in their, their handwriting, you would probably open that first because that's pretty significant to you. Letters are important. You know, I, I keep letters, especially if there's a really good ones. I, I don't like to keep those critical letters. I've got a couple of those, but, 
But if it's a really encouraging letter, I like to keep those and reread them every now and then. In fact, I, I kind of keep letters. I, I'm somewhat of a, I'm not a hoarder, but I am a keeper in some ways. But I was uh, looking through some things I had the other day, and I found a box of letters that my mother wrote me when I was in college. I mean, that's pretty, pretty incredible. And what's more incredible is that I went home every weekend, and she wrote me every week as well, <laughs> which is pretty neat, you know. Uh, but I still got those letters, and they're important. And I've got a bunch that Lord wrote me too. I don't want to, you know, downsize that as well. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, so letters are important. And this letter that we have, that we call the book of Colossians, has been preserved for us. And this is precious stuff. I mean, these, the books of the Bible are just incredible. And they come from the heart of a man who loved people and two people that needed to be encouraged. And they've been read millions of times. Imagine how many times the book of Colossians have been read and how many countless believers have been encouraged with this book of the Bible. So just value and appreciate that. You know, I've also appreciated this study because this letter was written to a, a church much like ours. You know, they were a church that were basically pretty unified, pretty healthy. They didn't have any huge problems or drama at the time. You know, some of the churches that Paul wrote to, they, had, they were such messes, and he would write and he would call them out. But in the book of Colossians, it's been pretty positive, and they just needed to be grounded in Christ, much like us. So we can identify with this book pretty doggone well. We also mentioned that the first two chapters of this book were pretty theological. They talk about who Jesus is. Why we call this Jesus, uh, or a big Jesus, the book of Colossians. And then the last couple chapters become very practical about marriage and family and job. And, and, and today we're going to talk about ministry. And you know, Paul's going to wrap up this particular area, or this particular book, by, by focusing on ministry itself. You know, among the staff, we sometimes joke and say, you know, ministry would be really easy if it wasn't for people. And that really is true, you know, because people, we're all a mess, aren't we? But we only say that half-jokingly, honest. None of you guys, it's everybody else that we talk about. But you know what? I always want to be able to stop what I'm doing to minister to people because that really is what ministry is about. It's not about writing messages and planning programs. It's really all about ministering to people. And, and by the way, that's not just true for full-time ministry staff. That's true for all of us. That God has called all of us as believers to be ministers, and He will bring people into our life that need to be ministered to. And by that, I don't mean preached to. I mean just loved on. And that's what God has called us to do. And so we're going to be reminded in the last chapter of this, of this book that ministry is all about people. Let's read it together. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, devote yourself to prayer, being watchful and thankful, and pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for whom I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. You know, this just seems, seems like some bullet points in, in some way that Paul's kind of wrapping up this book. I'm sure he had a lot more to say that he, he would like to share, but he wraps it up with some real quick comments and some directives for us to have as a healthy and balanced and stable Christian life. He gives us four things, be prayerful, be watchful, be thankful, and be relational is kind of what we're going to look at here for a few moments. So let's jump and look at the first one. Paul says, I want you to be prayerful. He says, devote yourself to prayer. You know, prayer is basically meeting with your Father. It really is what it's all about. God, God is, is um, the goal is not to become a great prayer, but to become much more 
comfortable with your father. You know, there are some people that can word a prayer. I'm almost envious. I think, I think that might be wrong too, but I'm almost envious of them and how they pray and just so fluid and so smooth and so spiritual sounding, but that's not the goal in prayer. The goal is to become more comfortable with our father and to know him better. In fact, Jesus taught us how to pray, and he began by saying, our Father who is in heaven. That's a very close and intimate relationship with your Father. Now, maybe you say, well, not, not in my life, because I didn't have the greatest Father, or I didn't have the greatest relationship with my Father, certainly not comfortable enough to tell him everything I was thinking about. But you know what? With God, you can discover a Father that maybe you never knew personally. And you can tell him everything. You can tell him about your day. He wants to know how it went, about your friends about what your personal needs are, uh, about your fears, your goals, everything in your life. And you say, well, I thought he knew all that. I thought he knew everything. Well, he does. The goal in prayer is not to inform God about something. He already knows everything. He knows how many hairs are on your head is what Jesus said. So we're not going to inform God and fill it in about what's going on on this earth. He already knows it. The goal is to deepen the relationship and Maybe you're uncomfortable a little bit with him initially, but the more you talk to him, the more you share, the more comfortable you become in that relationship. You see, prayer is not for God's benefit. It is for our benefit. And it's an extremely powerful way for us to get closer to God, but also to let God see our hearts as well, to be intimate with him in that way and to share our needs and find his will because our prayer should always be worded in the will of God and seeking the will of God. Now, I know it's easier for us to pray in times when we're desperate, we're looking for something, and we're stressed out, but you know what? Our prayer to be healthy needs to be even when things are going well. And what I've discovered is when we can pray on a regular basis, commit ourselves every day, I'm going to take some time to pray, then number one, things go smoother, but secondly, when things are stressful, we just continue the flow. When things are difficult, when things are great, we pray. To be a healthy Christian, we need to have a strong, regular prayer time with God. Secondly, Paul says, I want you to be watchful. Be watchful. What does he mean by that? A healthy Christian is always watching. What are we watching for? Well, the Bible says many places that we're to watch for the coming of the Lord because he's going to come back. In fact, the language that is used is that he will come like a thief in the night, which means that we can never know when that will be, but we need to be prepared We lock our houses, we secure our windows, we lock our cars. Why? Because potentially a thief could come. It may not be uh, if, it will be when. And certainly with God and Christ's return, it will not be if, it will be when. So we need to be watching constantly, never letting that thought slip off the back of our mind. And we also want to be watching and being prepared to see what God is doing and where God is moving in our lives. And then we want to get on board with Him. You know, we shouldn't just decide we're going to do something and then ask God to bless it. We ought to be so close to God and attuned with Him that we know what God's doing, and then we get on board with Him, and then we ask God to bless us as we work with Him and to be in the stream of His movement, kind of watching for opportunities to serve and give and grow, always listening and watching. But you know, we also ought to be looking for opportunities to share Christ with other people, to share Christ. We ought to be looking for people to minister to, that person at work that seems to be struggling or needs someone to talk to, or a neighbor that you haven't seen for a couple of days, or whoever it might be, looking for people that that maybe just are looking for someone else to care for them. 
Maybe people who are interested, people who respond, or whenever we try to engage them in a spiritual conversation, they actually, you know, want to talk about spiritual things, and they begin to pop, and we, we start thinking, well, this, maybe this is someone that God's put into my life on a, on a real, uh, for a very intentionally. That's kind of our responsibility. You know, one of my favorite scriptures in the Old Testament is in the book of Ezekiel. Not a book we go to a lot, but, but I love this imagery and this picture that, that he writes there in Ezekiel 33. God's talking to Ezekiel, and he says to him, Son of man, speak to your people and say to them, when I bring the sword against the land, and the people of the land choose one of their men and make him their watchman, and he sees the sword coming against that land and blows the trumpet to warn the people, then if anyone hears the trumpet but does not heed the warning, and the sword comes and takes their life, their blood will be on their own head. Since they heard the sound of the trumpet but did not heed the warning, their blood will be on their own head. But if they had heeded the warning, they would have saved themselves. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet to warn the people, and the sword comes and takes someone's life, that person's life will be taken because of their sin, but I will hold the watchman accountable for their blood. Now, I hope that makes sense, but in, in that day, the cities were basically guarded by one individual who was appointed or called to be the watchman. And the watchman would go up into a tower, and his sole job was to watch and look for the approaching army. And whenever they were approaching, his job was to sound the trumpet. And when he did that, once he sounded the trumpet, then he could run for his life. But everybody else was kind of responsible for themselves after the trumpet sounded. But if the trumpet was not sounded because the watchman was either not looking, not watching, or was afraid, I don't want to call attention to me, I'm just going to slip away, then he would be responsible for everybody who died. I think this is a pretty important scripture for us as believers because we know of the danger. For many people who do not know Jesus, there is danger approaching. And if we don't warn them, if we don't talk to them about that, then their blood, their soul basically is on our head, our responsibility. And that's why it's important for us to watch, to be watchful. What I've discovered today is that sometimes our watching can be kind of selfish. You know, years ago, I used to, uh, I used to hunt. I, in fact, I kind of would say I lived to hunt. I look back now, I see how shallow that was. At the time, I, I wasn't very objective about it. But I remember hunting was such a big part of my life. And, and there was nothing, nothing going to take my uh, uh, time on opening day, especially of deer season. I, I love to hunt. I would spend weeks preparing for that day. I would spend weeks, you know, scouting and preparing, sighting in my gun, get up early that day. I would go out, take care not to contaminate the area I was going in to hunt, and, and uh, all you guys that hunt know that, and sit for hours without moving and just watch, just look. Lori would say, how can you do that? How can you just say, well, I was pretty focused on that. I, that's what I was about. I mean, I would sit there with no matter how cold it was, how discomfortable, uh, uncomfortable it would be, distractions, and just watch for hours for a chance at a deer that might or might not come. I'm not, I love to hunt, so I'm not bashing hunting, but I'm just thinking about that, about how sometimes our, our watching is not that productive, especially compared to something of such value as salvation and the watching we ought to be doing for one another. Let me tell you something I didn't have back then was my smartphone. Now, I don't know what hunting would look like today with a smartphone. I really don't because I've got this burning need all the time to know what's going on. So I got a feeling I would be distracted, you know, by my smartphone in the stand. I should probably leave that at home. 
But what I've discovered because of that is that all of us today, we're not very watchful of other people. Why? Because we have technology that gets our attention and, and we focus. Go into a room. Someone told me this morning as I walked in, it's kind of interesting, someone said in the room that there were 10 people in the green room and every one of them were looking at their phone and kind of just sitting there in silence. And that happens a lot, if you might notice, in waiting rooms or in family rooms and anywhere else, that we have technology that takes our attention now. It's our greatest distraction. You know, we just look at it for hours, and we kind of ignore each other, and not just in relationships, but in the people in our lives. You know, people used to have conversations in, at lunch table at work, but now I got a feeling most of it's focused on our phone and catching up and, you know, texting and news and everything like that. There are things, too many things that distract us today. We're not watchful, and we are distracted from our relationships with other people. We become much more focused, even though our world's gotten, you know, smaller in some ways, we have kind of lost contact with one another. Here's what I'm saying is that God's called us to be the watchmen and the watchwomen in central Kentucky. I believe that. I think we know what the truth is. We can see the approaching uh, coming of Jesus that will definitely spell danger to, to people who are not, not prepared for him. And we have this responsibility as individuals and as the church to sound the warning. And, and that is to, to not to threaten people or not to you know, warn people as much as to inform people, to share them, Jesus with them who don't know him. And that means friends and family and neighbors and coworkers whatever it might be, but sadly, many of us choose to live our life kind of isolated in homes that have blinds drawn and garage doors and privacy fences and, and phones stuck in our face. It's how we live life, but we need to be watchful for those who are lost and those who need direction in life. And then the third thing Paul says we have to be is thankful. We need to be a thankful people. Very clearly, be thankful, he says. Remember here that Paul is writing this in jail. I've never been to jail except to visit, but I think it would be hard to be thankful when you were in jail. It would be challenging, you know, to say, thank you, God, that I'm here in jail. I can't imagine that. But Paul has this amazingly positive attitude, even in chains. He says, I'm writing this in chains. Today, most of us are free and we are prospering in our lives, but we can oftentimes forget to be grateful to God for what we have. We can be so distracted by the things we have that we forget to be thankful. Amen. You know, what I've noticed is that for, in this season of, of my life, that thankful is, is my favorite word. It's my favorite word. That's what I think about. I am thankful. You know, I look back over our life. When Lori and I were first married uh, uh, 30-some years ago, uh, we had no kids. We were living in a church-owned parsonage. And then we had a vision of a family, and we had a vision of our own home. We had no idea if that would ever happen. God, God has blessed us in so many ways, in every way. Uh, we're blessed with great kids that now have uh, beginning their own families, a granddaughter. We have a, a wonderful home. We have great friends. We have you guys, awesome church family that we love to come and share. Beyond my imagination, it's very humbling because I had no idea where God would bring us in life. And I am thankful. I am thankful. And I have a feeling that every one of us here should and could echo that sentiment that we are thankful, that we had no idea that God would ever bring us to where we are in our life and bless us in the way that He has. And so we need to make sure that we keep an attitude of gratitude all the time in our life for what God's done to us. Remember where it comes from. Remember who sent it to us. We need to be thankful. And then fourthly, Paul says we need to be relational. 
relational. This is where ministry comes in. Once we're prayerful and watchful and thankful, then we ought to be sharing that with other people. And in verse 5, he says, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. See, what he's saying here is that the Christian life is not meant to be lived in isolation. It's not meant to be lived just in, by yourself alone. It's meant to be lived, first of all, in community with other believers, but then also to interact with those who are not yet in the family of God, recognizing that God's calling everyone to be saved, that no one uh, sh- should uh, be lost, but that we have to be salt and light, is how Jesus said it, to interact and impact their lives. And so we need to be perceptive and aware and sensitive and and open and take advantage of every opportunity, Paul says, every opening to share Jesus. And when you do that, make sure that your conversations are full of grace as well as truth. Sometimes we can be so full of truth uh, that we don't show love or grace. Sometimes we can be so full of grace that we don't share truth. We have to balance truth and grace together. We have to accept God's grace and then turn around and offer it to other people. And when you take, speak to someone and you interact with them, even uh, the most shallow, you know, hello, just speaking to someone, take God's love and kindness and give it to somebody else. In fact, Paul says, in your conversation, season them with salt. And that doesn't mean your language ought to be salty, not at all. It means to be flavorful, to be interesting, to be engaging with people. You be the first one to engage someone in conversation. You know, I've noticed that when you take the initiative to uh, begin a conversation, people will often respond. But if, if you don't and they don't, you can, no, no, nothing, you know. Nothing. So you take the initiative and begin conversation. Walk across your yard, across the street, across the room, whatever it may be. And initiate relationships that could help, hopefully, lead them to Christ. You know, when, I think we do a, a lot of good things well at our church here. But I think this is one of the things that we could do a lot better in, and that is sharing our lives and sharing Jesus with other people. I think we could do better at that. I know that I can do better at that because I'm like everybody else. I, I get, you know, my thing and what I'm doing, and sometimes it doesn't include people beyond my circle. And God has called us to reach out to people. Many believers have never invited anyone to come to church with them, never share Jesus with, 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 with anybody at all. And and we can do better than that. Why? Because we've been appointed and, and informed as watchmen and women. And we need to be aware of the danger to those who are not yet in Christ and care enough to share it with them. So Paul says, I want you to be prayerful, be watchful, be thankful, and relational because that's what ministry is all about. And all of us are called to be ministers. Now, in the last part of this chapter, Paul lists several people that are a part of ministry, either ministering to people or being ministered to. And so we're going to kind of wrap up this biggest section. I'm going to read several verses here, a lot of big names that we're going to, talk, going to read through or try to get through here. And we're going to talk about how they impacted um, Paul's life. And I want you to kind of draw some parallels to your own life if you can. In verse 7, Titius will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord I'm sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that's happening here. My fellow prisoner, Ariscus, sends his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You have received instructions about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. 
Jesus, who is also called Justice, also sends greetings. These are the only Jews among my co-workers for the kingdom of God, and they proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you that you may know, excuse me, may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea and the Nympha and the church at her house. Now, normally when we read through a list of names like that, I don't know about you, but I kind of check out and I'm like, I don't know who these people are. I don't know what I'm supposed to do with that. It's pretty common. We would say, dear so-and-so at the beginning of a letter, they say that at the end of a letter. It's just different. So he kind of talks about the people he's writing to. But you know who these people are? They're all people either at the church there or they are people who are with Paul in, in Rome in jail. And what I love about this is that they show us the beauty of the church because of their differences, how different these people really are. And Paul mentions them to make the letter personal, to write the letter to them, or to just, you know, give them a shout out or something, but also to highlight what each of them will bring to his own personal life. Remember, ministry is personal. It's all about people. And so we're going to look at this list real quick here, and we're going to talk about the different kinds of people in the church And I want you to think about the people in your life that mirror them, because I'll tell you, we all need people like this in our lives, all right? I'm going to give you seven classes of people real quick that you need in your life, and think about the people that are in your circle of friends, Christian friends. First of all, the people you can depend on. The people you can depend on. We all need some people in our life we can depend on, right? Someone, if we need to talk to somebody, we can call them. We know they'll answer the phone. We know they'll call us back. They'll be there if we need them, right? So Paul lists, uh, lists somebody, and, and the guy he lists is Titius, the first guy. He's a brother, a faithful minister, a servant, an encourager. Now, why is he important? Because Paul actually is sending this letter that he has just written to the Colossians with Titius. And so he had to be dependable. I mean, can you imagine if, if Titius wasn't dependable? If he had forgotten where he was going or gotten lost or distracted or lost the letter somewhere along the way, we wouldn't even have this book of the Bible. You got to have somebody you can depend on, right? You can say, here, take this, and you know it's going to get there. You know it's going to get done. That's pretty important. We all need people. But you know what? We also need to be people like that. Who are you, the two, who are you two, the person they can depend on, that they know they can call you? We want those people, but you have to be that person as well. When it comes to matters of faith and, you know, your spiritual walk, be that person that can be depended upon. Only God knows what we do, how the impact of what we do in His name and how we serve, and, and we all need people like that and to be people. Second list of people are people who are transformed. People who are transformed. He mentioned the name that maybe you rec- uh, recognize Onesimus. Onesimus was a former slave in the city of Colossians. In fact, he had robbed and ran away from his master, whose name was Philemon. But Onesimus became a believer, and he was a special friend and a special servant for Paul. And Paul seemed to be sending Onesimus back with Tychius with the letter. And Onesimus, guess what, was carrying his own letter to his former master, Philemon, which is the book of Philemon that we have. See how these tie together? Pretty cool. And so Paul is sending this letter back to Philemon asking Philemon to forgive Onesimus, his servant, 
and to restore him not as a slave but as a brother. Onesimus' life had been transformed. Obviously, he had a past, but he had been forgiven. You know, maybe you're here and you have a past of some sort. We all have a past uh, of some, some quality, right? Good or bad. Maybe you have a past and yours is not that great and you think you're disqualified to serve or maybe even to be redeemed. But here's a great thing. Even a, even a, th- a thief and a slave who had robbed and maybe done who knows what on his way out of town, he could be restored and he was going back as a believer and he was a servant now. Whatever you've done, you bring it to Jesus, you seek forgiveness, and then use it to help other people. Here's a third group of people, people who pick you up when you're down. People who pick you up when you're down. He lists three people, Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. And all three of these guys were traveling companions with him, and they were in prison with him, seemingly. He's there, and they're, just, they're sticking out with him. I don't know if they, they were in trouble, or they just said, we're gonna, wherever you go, we're going to go. We're going to be there. Remember Mark, also called John Mark, he was a cousin to Barnabas, and Barnabas was a great encourager, so probably Mark had some of that qualities himself. And they just went with him no matter what, and they lifted his spirits. Fourth group are people who get things done. People who get things done. Epaphras, he mentions him. Paul calls him a, fellow, a dear fellow servant. Remember him, if you remember 12 weeks ago, Epaphras was the one who planted the church in Colossae. He was one of them. Somehow he had been traveling with Paul, maybe he just came to visit Paul in Rome, we don't know. Uh, but he said he's a trustworthy brother. He gets things done. He starts churches. Number five are people with unique skills. Did you notice who was in the, the group? It was Luke. Luke was a physician. In fact, he was Paul's personal physician. He traveled with Paul and he helped him out because Paul was a very sickly man. He, he had a lot of health issues. But something else Luke did, Paul also had a tendency to get himself in trouble and every now and then he would get beat up or stoned or something. And so Luke, would, he was kind of like his cut man. He would, he would move in, <laughs> he'd pick him up, he'd patch him up, send him out again. Luke had some pretty unique skills, you know, and he left his practice to go and travel with Paul. But Luke was also a writer and historian. He, he wrote two books of the Bible, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And they kind of come together to talk about the life of Jesus and how the church continued on. And in fact, if you look at those two books, he was probably the second most prolific writer of the New Testament. He probably wrote second only to Paul. So he wrote a lot of the Bible that we have today. And what this tells us is that when you have gifts or skills, you need to give them to God. You don't have to leave your job to serve Jesus because Jesus will use us wherever we are. You know, I love it when people come up to me and say, hey, you know, I'm not an upfront kind of guy. I'm not going to get up there and say anything, but if you need something done, let me know. And this is what I can do. I I will help out. I will support the church, whatever we can possibly do. There's another group of people, the sixth uh, sixth, uh, group. And these, uh, this is not good. These are the people who walk away from Jesus. People who walk away. And, And one guy falls in this case, in this list. It was Demas. Demas actually was a fellow missionary. He was with Paul but he fell away from the Lord and left him. We don't know why. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says that Demas deserted him because of his love for the world. Nobody knows why, uh, as far as I can, can find out. But how sad it is when someone who's walking with the Lord leaves the Lord. Make sure that you're never that person. Never that, that you never walk away from the Lord. You know, I've known people like Demas, a lot of them, people who are serving and growing and maturing and faithful in worship, and then they just disappear, just walk away and leave Christ. And you know what the Bible says? You are worse off at the end than you were in the beginning. 
Because you've already tasted some of it, you've experienced, but you've chosen to walk away. And there's something that hardens an individual like that. I have a good, very good friend who's there right now, and I pray for him, but he's, he's left the Lord, just walked away. They love the world more than Christ. And the last group of people that we see here are people who practice hospitality. And he mentions a lady named, her name is Nympha. We don't know a lot about her, but she was a woman who opened her home up for the church to meet there. And she had the gift of hospitality. You know, in 1976, when I was a teenager, our family left our established church and we went to help plant a new church on the other side of the county. And we met for several months in the home of a lady named Louise Simpson. I didn't know her very well and she wasn't extremely wealthy or anything, but every Sunday she opened up her home to all of us, kids, adults, everybody, and we had church there. We had Sunday school in her, uh, the various rooms of her house, gathered around her kitchen table or in the living room. We had Sunday school there. We had worship in her garage. And I remember one, uh, the, the time we were there, it was winter and it was so cold in that garage. Uh, we heated with kerosene heaters, not, not the nice ones, the old ones, that you had a mustache. You looked like Hitler when you got done because you had a mustache or a black mustache on your nose breathing those fumes for a few hours. But we met there in her home. I just remember her hospitality, just opening it up so that people could come and worship. Now, you don't have to start a church in your home, but, but being a host and have the gift of hospitality is, is a great gift. And you ought to use your home for the glory of God, to invite people in, to fellowship, you know, just to, to share with them. But also maybe open your home up for a journey group, you know, for one of our groups. Even if your home is modest and simple, it doesn't have to be anything great. Just, just open it up and let people come in and, and, and be kind to them. That is a great gift to have. And we're going to wrap up real quick. There's only two more verses left, or three, I believe. And, and real quick, after this letter has been read to you, Paul says, see to it that it's also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry you received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hands. Remember my chains, grace be with you. From this, we get the idea that whenever this letter was written to the Colossians, that they passed it around to other churches. The, other, the church at Laodicea, which was a neighboring town, they were to read this letter. They had a letter written by Paul. We don't have a copy of that. That's not a, not of a part of our New Testament. But, but these letters were passed around. But the one thing that's really significant to Archippus, see to it that you complete the ministry that you have received. Whatever ministry you have been given, whatever God calls you to do, be faithful in fulfilling that. That would be my challenge to you as we wrap up the book this morning, uh, the book of Colossians, just be faithful and finish the task that God's given you. Begin the task. For some, it's a task, of, uh, a matter of beginning. For others, it's a matter of finishing and being faithful with what God has given to you. What is your ministry? It's any area that God allows you to work and serve for Him. And I want to encourage you, as a believer, to think about the area that you might serve in. We got a volunteer, uh, uh, volunteer event coming up, uh, first Saturday of, of September. If you're not serving, if you haven't found your ministry yet, it'd be a great time to come and, and discover about that. You can read about that in the loop uh, or online. Uh, but we'd love to have you come and be a part of that to discover where God might have you to serve. If you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus and you want to begin this journey, we would love uh, to, to talk to you. I'm going to be up front. Tony will be on the other side in just a few moments just to talk to you about your next step on the journey. Right now, though, we're going to transition to a crucial time in our service as we 
share in the Lord's Supper. It is His invitation for us to come and to, to fellowship with Him. And what we do is we just ask you to come up these two outside uh, aisles and um, side aisles and just uh, come to the table and then circle back to your seat. The time of communion is, is a time that we share in remembering what Jesus has done for us, the breaking of His body and the shedding of His blood for us. And we take a piece of bread and a cup of juice in remembrance of Him. And we invite everyone to come and share. If you're not able to come forward or prefer not to, then our deacons in the back will definitely uh, bring that to you. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this book of the, of the Bible, Colossians. I, I pray that everyone has a deeper appreciation for, for what it really was, a love letter sent from Paul to a church that echoes down through time to our church, Lord, to instruct us, to encourage us, and to remind us today that ministry is all about people. Lord, I pray now that as we go into this time of communion that you would turn our hearts toward you, that, Lord, we would see your love for us in the death of Jesus. And as we take the bread and the cup and remember his sacrifice on the cross, Lord, that, that we'd be drawn closer to you. I pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.